0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. This uh, This past week, we also finished a series on Paul's letter uh, to the church in Colossae. And this letter was one that brought a lot of truth. It brought a lot of encouragement. it It brought forth an opportunity for growth. And I, I think about this transition we're having into this new series, Salt and Light. It's going to be a short-ish series. It's only three weeks, and we're going to talk about what, uh, what Jesus means when He talks through and He expresses this, this Sermon on the Mount. He expresses this need for us as the church to be salt and us as the church to be light. And as we look at these two elements and what they actually represent, I'm, I'm interested to note the fact that Paul is somewhat of a case study on living this out. I'm going to read just this morning. This won't be on the screen, so I apologize uh, if, you didn't, uh, if, you, if you don't have your Bible with you, um, but you're welcome to bring that. We do encourage it if you ever want to. If you don't have a Bible, we do have them available at the Info Center. Uh, that's uh, a gift for you, so you can grab one on the way out if you'd like. But in chapter 9 of the book of Acts, I'm going to read uh, several passages regarding this amazing story. why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, and the response came like this. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. And Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could, not see, he could see nothing. Excuse me. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. And in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he said. The Lord told him, go to the house of of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarshish named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and, and place his hands on him, to restore his sight. "'Lord,' Ananias answered, "'I have heard many reports about this man "'and all the harm he has done "'to your holy people in Jerusalem.' And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And so this man is coming to kill Christians. Ananias is a Christian. All of a sudden he hears about this possibility that he's supposed to do something with this man Saul who's been killing Christians. He's kind of reluctant to say, yeah, I'll I'll go be in the same room as this person who's sought out with authority to kill me. And here the response comes. But the Lord says to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes that he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. As we step into this specific series, we recognize there is a call, there is a direction. We walk through this series Of reset over the last four weeks, a a calibration, if you will, of being reminded of the truth, being reminded of the things that God has called us to and how we live out those things. And also what a proper connection is to Christ through unity with the body. But here's the reality of what we read in this text about Saul having this transformation from being a sinner, someone who was attempting to try to, to squelch out the way, those who follow Jesus, to being someone who now we read his words and we follow the inspired words that he has uh, written down for us to have, and here's the reality of it. He didn't just, Jesus, he didn't just call us, or he didn't just save us from something, he called us to something. We we weren't just, call, or we weren't just free from the sin or the, the separation we have in, uh, in, in our own sin or in our sin nature, but we were literally called to something, called to be something, And as we read the text today and this recognition of who God is and what he's called us to through this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives, we recognize that he calls us to be both salt and light. And in response to God's call and his direction, he he, he desires for obedience on the part of the disciple and the, the work of the disciple. In fact, in our understanding of Scripture and the Great Commission, we recognize as a church that we're called to be disciples who make disciples. Disciples who our our goal is to to continue to perpetuate or to continue to to reveal, continue to have this rippling effect of the impact that God has had on our life as he created in us a new being. As we take off the old self, put on the new self, become something new, we're to to share that. We're to give that out. We're to to be a, a vessel or a conduit for others to experience the same. And so we read in these short just these, these few short verses, and we're, gonna expre- or we're going to explore them um, in, in, in more depth over the course of this week and next. In these few short verses, in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, we see this shift from the blessings of the kingdom to the work of the kingdom. We see this metaphor of recognizing that there's a place for disciples to, to step in and to be part of God's redemptive work. We see the fact that we're not supposed to be just like the world, but we're supposed to be living in in, in contrast or so to speak against the world, not necessarily the people around us, but the things of the evil one. And the passage reads like this, Matthew chapter 5, quoting Jesus in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Like that, moving forward into verse 14, it says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. If you're a note taker, here's the first point. We are the salt of the earth. In this passage, as Jesus is speaking, he's not just talking to those that are present, but this is for the universal audience of all followers, all disciples of Jesus. We are the salt of the earth. You and I are the salt of the earth, just like those who have passed before us and any followers in the future. Anybody else this morning who gathers in the name of Jesus or or anybody else who claims him as their savior, we are the salt of the earth. And so, the question that comes, maybe the, the question that comes on the on the heels of this statement is, what is the salt for? Meaning, what is our purpose? God, like I said, God didn't just call us or save us from something. He called us to something. What are we to do? Right here, we see the first word there, you. And this you isn't is an emphatic, isn't just some uh, specific thing, this universal thing for everybody, but it's, it's specifically for, it's restrictive for the people of God. Jesus isn't talking to all people, but those who specifically are his followers. You are indeed this well-known fact that that we are to, to live a life that is different from the life we used to live. And it's so a well-known fact that, that salt in this country, as it, it would have been uh, thought of in that time, would, uh, if it were to contact the ground or to be exposed to sun or be exposed to rain, it would become yet less useful than it would uh, have been when it was first mined. In fact, what would take place in that time if they would gather salt together is they would do so in, in great fashion. And in many cases, what would happen is there would be a lot of impurities that would come along with the salt. They would gather up salt, and as they would do so, as they would mine the salt together, they would gather it out of the Dead Sea. They would bring it together, and they would be, there would be filth in it. There would be dirt in it. There would be other things that would be collected alongside it. And, it, and as this impurity was recognized, there was this recognition that as things would, would, be, uh, would, would, would be crystallized, or things would, would turn into dust, or things would be less fruitful, what would happen is you would be left with, as the salt was used, you'd be left with simply just the impurities, not only good for nothing itself, but actually it destroys all the, the fertility of, the, of what it's thrown on. And so as we read this, it says thrown out and trampled. The recognition here is that if you had the leftover impurities of the salt, you would not throw it on your garden. You would not throw it anywhere where you would want to, to, to try to, to plant things or you would want things to grow. Instead, you would throw it on the ground where the only thing it was good for was to help people from slipping or sliding so that they would have traction. And so as we see this why or this what is salt for, we read about this being cast out or being trodden underfoot. And we see that there's this recognition of, of this troublesome, corrupt salt that it's carefully swept up and it's carried forward and it's thrown into the street rather than even being useful for fertilizing something else. There's different Types of things that salt is used for, and as we recognize salt in and of itself, you and I probably have a different definition that they would have understood salt as being at that time. For us, salt is pretty pure. Salt has a a very direct purpose, and, and in most cases, a pretty singular purpose. But at that time, salt had several different purposes. In fact, the second question to ask is what does salt do? What does is, what is the salt of the earth do? And the first point is this. The salt of the earth is charged, has been given the command to purify. Purify. The salt of the earth has been given the command to purify. Salt was often used to purify wounds at that time. And I know that's kind of a, a cringy type thing to think about. Because, you know, that for them, the closest disinfectant in, in that time in Palestine uh, would be salt. If they didn't purify wounds, gangrene would set in. They'd often have infection. So they had to clean it out with the salt that was around them. And so it was used to purify a cut. It was used to purify a wound. I've told some of you this before, and I'll tell you now, I am literally a statistic. At one point, I literally was attacked by a shark, and I live to tell about it. It's true. It's true. You know, I, sometimes when you play the game Two Truths and a Lie, right, I put this down, everybody thinks it's the lie, but this is true. I, I was attacked by a shark, and I live to tell about it. I was uh, in, actually, it was a senior trip. I was in, in high school and I was on a, a fishing trip with, uh, with some friends and we were fishing out on the ocean. It was a kind of a once in a lifetime thing. I was, I was really excited to do it and we're fishing and, and all of a sudden I, I get a tug on the line and I reel in this fish after a, a long fight. As I get it in, I realize it was an 18 inch shark. A monster. <laughs> And so I I don't even need the net. I get it up on the boat. I'm holding the shark just like this. And this is before you have the cameras that are digital where you can take 50 pictures. This is a one shot. This is all you get kind of thing. And so I'm holding this shark. And I'm like, okay, get a picture. Get a good one. I'm holding this shark. And as I'm holding it, I realize that the person that's taking the picture is doing the thing where they want to get a part of their fingerprint in the picture. You guys have ever seen this before? And so I reach out to, to kind of, hey, no, 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 don't, don't get your finger, and I want to make sure it's a good picture. And as I do that, the shark has other ideas. And the shark is basically a full muscle itself. It swings over. It bites me on the stomach. Shark attack. <laughs> it draws blood, not a whole lot, but enough, because it has razor-sharp teeth. We get the picture, and I'm kind of like this in the picture because it hurt a little bit. Put it back in the water. And the first thing the captain says is, we got to wash that thing out, and all we got is salt water. It didn't feel good. I didn't love it. In fact, the salt water burned. The salt water, it it, it made me, you know, really, really uncomfortable. But what I recognize is it fought off the infection. It fought off any further damage. It fought off what could have actually been As we look specifically at what the salt of the earth is charged to purify, we recognize spiritually that sometimes there are wounds that take place, maybe within ourselves. Maybe you recognize a wound in your own life a place where you have been harmed by someone else. Maybe, you, maybe it's, it's the result of your own consequence. You see it within the context of the church. We see times in the church where there are, there are issues you have with, with someone else or frustrations you have or, or, or just a, a conflict you're walking through. And the recognition is that sometimes when we see this, we note God is calling us to clean out the wound. Or he's saying, I'm going to clean out this wound. And it might hurt a little bit. It might hurt to recognize the sense of your own pride. It might hurt to recognize the issue that you created or the part that you played. It might, it might hurt to reflect upon or to be reminded of the thing that you did that's brought forth this wound, but what God's saying is, I choose to purify. and the salt of the earth, my disciples bring forth purity in my name. You know, sometimes we want to avoid that salt. We want to avoid being being cleaned out. We want to avoid what it means to actually dig deep and get the infection out of there. And we just want to gloss it over. And what happens? That infection grows underneath the surface. And it divides and it brings forth even worse results. Of what would have happened if we would have just cleaned it out to begin with? And maybe the implication or the application here is what God is saying is don't allow things to fester. Don't allow the issue to be there. Instead, allow the spirit to clean out your wound. And I don't need to be, give any more example because if, if, if there is a wound that you have right now, certainly the spirit's already brought it to your mind. James 4, 8 reads like this, come near to God and he will come near to you. I love the promises of scripture. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, I think that those things are in reverse order. And I'm not questioning the Spirit's leading to James when this was penned, but certainly that first part could have gone first, right? Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, because this is what it looks like. Come near to God and he'll come near to you. What does it mean to come near to God? It means to wash your hands, to not be a sinner, to purify your heart, to not be double-minded, but to let God clean out your wound. What does salt do? The second thing salt does is this. The salt of the earth is charged to preserve it's charged to preserve. Now, I, I have not done this myself. Perhaps some of you have experienced this or have done this before. You've used salt as a preservative, particularly for food or, or, or meat or whatever it might be. But, but here's the reality of it. In this case, as the, the author is speaking here, or the author is quoting, I should say, Jesus, there's this recognition that salt somehow can lose its saltiness in that time. Now, chemically for us, we recognize that table salt consists of two elements. It's, it's sodium and chloride. And it's my understanding even that, that these two elements cannot exist free in nature, but are bonded together to create or what we know as sodium chloride. But much of the salt that was in Israel at the time was much different than what we have today. What we have today is this purified salt where everything inside of here, unless you've gone to a restaurant where there was high school boys at the table before you got there, everything in this is salt, right? There's not a sugar packet in there too, which is funny. I think it's funny every time, right? I love having sugar on my fries. That's great. But what Matthew was attempting to try to record here in his gospel was that, hey, the the salt that's taken from the Dead Sea, which I think there's certainly some application there, the salt that was taken from the Dead Sea is filled with impurities. And this has caused the flavor to really be lost. And that word there is also important, this recognition that it was lost. Lost. It presents us a bit of a problem for sodium chloride doesn't lose its taste but the salt of the first century in Palestine was very impure and as it would lose it, it was quite possible for the sodium chloride to leach out and it lacked saltiness. It lacked its purpose and specifically the salty taste that it had. The remainder of what was left was utterly useless. But Christianity in our day must also be this persevering, this preservative of in our human society. In fact, you might have heard this quote before, we are one generation away. The gospel is one generation away from extinction. And what that means is if the church, if you and I, if, if our brothers and sisters lose that saltiness, lose the purity of the gospel, don't pass it on, don't make disciples who make disciples, then quite possibly the gospel will be extinct. And you might say, well, I know the Holy Spirit will, will tarry through that. I get that too, but it doesn't mean that we don't do our job. It doesn't mean that we don't step forward in our call. When Jesus spoke these words, there was no refrigerator to be known. Instead, it was all about this preservation of the food, and that would have been an understanding for all the people that were there. That A, salt, it has an utter importance because it preserves the very thing that gives us life as we consume food. 1 Corinthians 4, excuse me, 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, verse 4 through 7 reads like this, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in the evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. If you look up perseveres, you'll see one of the synonyms is an interesting one. It's preserves. It keeps, it sustains, it, it holds true To persevere or to preserve the world from decay and destruction is the call of the believer. In fact, you can't even spell preserve without serve, which is what God calls us to, to serve, to love, and to engage others. Thirdly, what does the salt do? The third thing is this, the salt of the earth is charged to provide taste. Charged to provide taste. Life without Christ is flat. It's bland, it's tasteless. His followers are to add tone, to to add life, to add zest to the living, to the people around them. It's interesting, last week I shared a quote talking about how if we are followers of Jesus, if we have the Holy Spirit in us, then we should be leaving little pieces of heaven everywhere we go. We should bring a taste to those that are around us. I mentioned earlier about having fries with sugar on them. Can I just tell you right now, Can I tell you, having fries with no salt, that's not fries. That's not. It's a cooked potato. That's what it is. I was going to tell you a little longer story about that, but I'm not going to. I'm just going to keep going. Christians are called to to the charge of making an impact in their surroundings, in the world around them. And maybe the question is this, are you bringing life? Are you bringing zest to the world around you? Are you bringing life to the people that you embrace, that you engage with? Are you bringing life to the office or to the classroom? Are you bringing life to your home, maybe even to your marriage, to your relationships? Are you bringing life through the saltiness that God has put into your life? This this change, this zest for life, are you bringing that to your relationship with your Savior? If seasoning has no flavor, then it has no value. Don't go home and say, my pastor told me I have no value. That's not what I'm saying. But I want us to recognize that God has not just saved us from something, but he's called us to something. If Christians make no effort to affect the world around them, then they are little, little value to God, as He's called us to be His disciples. If we're too much like the world, if we act too much like the world, if we talk too much like the world, if we think too much like the world, then we're no different than the world. And in so doing, we live out exactly what Jesus is saying, which is that we have no value. To the kingdom. I got a haircut this weekend, and so this thing is not fitting the way it normally does. <laughs> the salt uh, used to, to provide taste for us, certainly has value. It has a lot of value in our society. And, and many of you probably have a salt shaker at home in the kitchen, maybe on the kitchen table, dining room table, in a cabinet or wherever it might be. And you've probably got a reserve of salt that you might use. Can I tell you that that salt to me is something that um, typically is not necessarily uh, a first resort. A lot of people, uh, they sit down at a meal, you might notice they put salt on something almost immediately. For me, I I taste the food for the most part. I'll put it on there unless I know it's something that's going to need salt um, because that's the way that it's typically served. But there's something about the recognition of salt that brings forth an understanding of how God has called us and the instruction that he's given us to live in a better place. And we think about this salt, it comes in a place where it's after an understanding of another truth, right? If, if you're a person who tastes your food first and then recognizes there's a need for salt, there's this, this already assumed information or a lack of assumed information that you have afterwards. And here we see the same thing in Jesus' sermon. If you're to back up just a few verses, you realize that this passage comes after a, a, a dubbed uh, set of values and understandings called the Beatitudes. It's almost to say that the person that Jesus is speaking to or the people Jesus is speaking to have tasted the food and now he's saying, okay, here is the understanding for salt. Beatitudes read like this in chapter 5, verses 3 through 10. It reads like this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. of heaven. If you read through these, you recognize there is some conflict between each one. There's some good and some bad, some struggles and some frustrations. The big thing to point at is specifically what's encapsulated in this last one. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And perhaps this should have been read on the front end of this understanding because this is the launch pad for understanding what it means to be salt. You probably have recognized this in your own life. We as believers are going to experience some form in some way. We're going to experience persecution. If you haven't already, you will. But as we walk through this in recognition that as salt, we still, in all of these aspects, will still experience him, the kingdom of heaven. And so the big thought is this, as a disciple, as salt of the earth, I, you, we are charged to purify, preserve, and provide taste for the kingdom of God. As a disciple, I am charged to purify, preserve, and provide taste for the kingdom of God. Have you ever been the person to share good news with somebody else? You found out somebody got a good grade on a test before they did, and so you went and told them. Maybe maybe a friend or a sibling's having a baby or got engaged, and you got to tell somebody else. You were the one that you got to share good news with somebody else. It feels good, right? It's kind of fun to be part of the journey. Now, it's not necessarily always fun to share bad news, but to share good news is one of the greatest things, one of the greatest gifts that God's given us because he has given you and I the good news. And we get to be the vessel. We get to be the one that he uses, the ambassador that shares the good news with others. I want to do one more thing real quick as we, as we kind of transition now into a time of communion. The points all highlighted this recognition that we are the salt of the earth. But I want us all to look once again at these points specifically in a personal way, recognizing the call that God has placed on each one of our lives. And so, in the place of salt of the earth, I want to encourage you to put the word I. And so, it would read like this I am charged to purify. I am charged to preserve. I am charged to provide taste. And there's something about going through things and having an opportunity to be reminded of them that brings real power and a real reminder to us. And so as we transition in just a moment, I want to bring forth this challenge, and that is this. If you are a follower of Jesus... If you are a disciple of Jesus, I want to encourage you to start each day. Start each day by expressing these words, I am charged to purify, preserve, and provide taste for the kingdom. Jesus is apparently thinking of the function of salt as a preservative, as the enemy of decay, and as a giving taste for food. What's good in society is followers keep wholesome. What's corrupt, they oppose. They penetrate society for uh, for the good and for acts of kindness, for moral antiseptic and for love. And they give a tang for life that salts a dish for, like giving salt for a dish for food that brings forth the real and lasting taste. God didn't just save you from something. In fact, he called you to something. He called you to be the salt of the earth. Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.